listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Today we're talking about six uh, costly mistakes that cancel your faith. You know, some people are, um, they get frustrated because they've been believing. And by the way, if you hear um, noises in the background, whatever, I, we've got a lot of construction going on today uh, right here next to the studio. So if if you if you hear anything, I'm not being, I'm not in the Chaz, which is turned into the chop. I'm not in the midst of anarchy. <laughs> There's actual construction work going on. But um, I will say that there are people that we've dealt with, that we've talked to, that they get frustrated because they feel like, well, my prayers aren't being answered. My faith doesn't seem to work. I don't understand why we're not seeing the supernatural aspect of Christianity in our family, our lives, our business, whatever it might be. And so we, we talk to people like that and they... They're like, well, what what could it be? Why are we not seeing um, the supernatural? Or we're not, why are we not seeing answered prayer? Why are we not seeing uh, the intervention of God, if you will, in our lives, in our families? And one of the things, and that's why I wanted to teach on this today, because one of the things that's so vital that we understand is that faith is not just an automatic when it comes to Christianity. That's That's so important. Faith is not just an automatic. What do I mean by that? You can't just throw your faith on cruise control and expect it to um, just work all the time. It doesn't work that way. And so that's why I'm going to take today's broadcast to to deal with some of these elements that we'll see. I'm going to show you the the mistakes, but then I'm going to show you what it takes uh, to make those things work. And I'm going to give you six. And these six are very, very important. Trust me when I tell you that. These are the main six, I should, I should say it this way. These are the main six elements that we have encountered or we have seen that really have kept people's faith from, from being active or functional. And that's why I want to give them to you almost as like a checklist uh, today. Very, very important. So I want you to take notes. I want you to put it in the comments and, uh, and, and put these down so that your faith will always be functional. I want to see your prayers answered. I want to see you walking in the supernatural power of God. I don't want to see people frustrated in the body of Christ. I want to see them moving forward in their purpose. But the devil knows. The devil knows what can stop faith from working. That's why he attacks these areas that I'm going to show you and tries to get you to make these mistakes. So it's very important that we catch this. By the way, today's broadcast brought to you by Diet Sunkissed Orange. A wonderful refreshment for any person trying to lose weight like I am. Um, and so I want you to go with me. We're going to start today in uh, Galatians chapter 5. But this is so vital, man. I, I can't tell you how many people that I have talked to that this has been the case in their life or in their family. And they're just like, they're just like completely confused. Like, why would God not answer me? Why would my faith not work? I'm a Christian. You know, I'm a Christian. Why is this stuff not happening for me? Because it doesn't just happen automatically because you're a Christian. Keep it in mind. 
if it worked that way, and I say this often so people can see it, if it worked that way, every Christian would be on the same level. Did you ever think about that? If all faith for every Christian was just automatic and automatically worked at the highest level, every Christian would be on the same level. There would be no uh, Christians that struggle. There'd be no sick Christians. There'd be no impoverished Christians. There would be no uh, depressed or anxious Christians. There would be no Christians battling in their relationships. It would all just be like cloud nine all the time. But you know as well as I do that that's not the case. I mean, just look around the body of Christ, even in just America, not even around the world. Just look at America and you can clearly see and know that that's not the case. I mean, there's people that are struggling and then there's others that seem like they are on cloud nine. What causes that large gap? Where, what causes that large gap between those that are serving the Lord that seems like they go from crisis to crisis and then there's others that are serving the Lord that seems like, man, they're just cruising. And, the, and here's the problem too, is, and this confuses people even further, is that you look at some of those Christians that are struggling and they've been Christians longer than the ones who seem to be cruising. It's like, dude, they, you've only been saved three years and it seems like you're going from blessing to blessing. This, this dude's been saved 18 years, 20 years. And, uh, crisis to crisis. Now I will break in here to answer a question because Lawenda is asking that she heard on Sid Roth's program that generational curses can block healing. What are my thoughts on that? Um, I disagree with that. I disagree that a Christian, and I just answered this as well, um, to someone that messaged the ministry. I disagree that Christians can be generationally cursed. I don't believe a Christian can be cursed not only by the curse of the law, but anyway, I deal with this, by the way, in uh, my book, Blood on the Door. If you've never read it, anybody that's watching, I deal with this on Blood on the Door, um, generational curses. I don't believe that uh, Christians can be cursed by anything. I don't believe that you can uh, be under the curse of the law. Christ redeemed you, Galatians chapter three. But then also going on to the curse of men. You know, I don't believe a witch can curse me, a warlock. I don't believe I don't believe that uh, you know somebody operate, operating in an antichrist spirit. Here's why: the Bible teaches in First John that the greater one is living on the inside of me. So remember this: when I am united with Christ, I become one with Christ. So to say that I can be cursed is to say that Christ can be cursed. Think about that: to say that I can be cursed is to say that Christ can be cursed because I'm part of his body. So the question I ask, God bless you from Pakistan. The, the question I ask is this, how could a weaker force overtake a stronger force? Because remember this, the curse is always weaker than the blessing. The blessing is always greater than the curse. And if I've been blessed by the most high God with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3, if I've been blessed, then who can curse? It's like, it's like, um, even in the old Testament, remember what the prophet Balaam said, uh, to the evil King Balak that wanted to curse God's people. This was before Jesus. 
And he said, well, let me inquire of the Lord. And uh, he said, um, let me inquire of the Lord. And he said, uh, well, I, I inquired of the Lord and I couldn't, I couldn't find anything wrong with God's people. I couldn't find anything wrong. And he said, in fact, they have the shout of a king in their camp. They have a shout of a king in their camp. And I cannot curse what God has blessed. I cannot curse what God has blessed. You see that? So I take that and I look at that and know that's, that's, an, Old Test, that's an Old Testament principle. That's before Jesus. And now that we have Jesus, I ask myself, what could be strong enough to curse me? Could a witch pronounce a curse on God's spirit? Remember this. It's so vital that we catch it. God's spirit lives in me. He's not somewhere in heaven. And I'm down here on the earth like a victim. I have to keep in my mind. His spirit lives in my body. That's what Paul had to remind the church. He said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? So once I understand that unity with Christ and that unity with the Holy Ghost, I start to realize I am Christ. I am part of his body, right? And so because I am, I think to myself this way, how could anyone curse what God has blessed? How could a, a demon, a witch, a warlock, this, you know, Satan himself, how could he curse the spirit of God? See, I'm united with the spirit of God. I'm part of the body of Christ. So I say no, Luenda. I say no, a Christian cannot be cursed by generational curses. I believe the only people that can be affected by generational curses are unbelievers. However, let me give you a, a caveat here. Some things that people call generational curses are actually learned behaviors. Let, let me break this down because this is something I, that goes right along with what we're teaching today because there's people that say, well, my faith's not working. I can't get my healing and I'm a Christian. Maybe, I've, maybe I'm operating under a generational curse and it's not even a generational curse. It's just a learned behavior. So let me give you an example. If you live in such a way, for example, if you live outside of wisdom, well, that's going to bring a harvest of uh, hazardous results upon your life. Now, Luenda's a nurse, so she can uh, understand totally what I mean by this. Um, let's say, for example, my family, you know, people say, well, you know, diabetes runs through my family. Well, it's not that diabetes necessarily runs through your family. It's that your family and your family culture has always been to eat in such a way that it lends itself to diabetes. Maybe your family culture was to grow up every morning or is to get up every morning and have biscuits and gravy, you know, and you have, it's just like, it's a total carb overload all day. You've destroyed your pancreas. Because it's like all day long, it's sugar. Well, my family just loves sweet tea and we just drink sweet tea all day long. And we have sweet tea and biscuits and gravy and we have, you know, you go through it. At night, you got fried chicken and fried foods. And, you know, it's not that you're living under a generational curse of diabetes. 
It's that your family has created a culture of learned behavior that gets passed down from generation to generation. Well, this is how grandma always made sweet tea. You know, it's it's three cups of sugar into the thing. It's like, well, dude, you grew up loving grandma's sweet tea, and so your mom made it for you, and then your wife makes it for you, and you start realizing it's not a demon. It's three cups of sugar in your container of sweet tea. And it's just like over and over, we live in such a way that it's there's no wisdom in it. You know, well, our family, that we've never really been a family that works out. We don't walk. We don't run. We just kind of a sedentary, like like Luenda just said, a sedentary lifestyle. We just kind of, So we, people look at that, and then they come through a prayer line and say, Brother Ted, pray for me. I'm just going through a generational curse. Everybody in my family's had diabetes, and, you know, that's the same thing for me, and now I have it. And it's like, you look, it's not a demon. It's not a demon. It's just learned behaviors that your family culture continued on. It's like when I read, um, there was a book that came out years ago by a man named Robert Kiyosaki, and he was teaching um, about generational wealth and generational poverty. And the book was called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You may have read it. And in the book, one of the things that he is trying to get across to his reader is that it's not necessarily some sort of a uh, a luck that puts people where they are, but he said rich parents teach their children habits that are opposite of what many poor parents teach their children. And so you have habits that continually are enacted in a family that basically, not, as I said, everything you release from your life is a seed. So you're experiencing the harvest uh, of what actions you've taken, right? It's not a demon. You, you've, you're, you're experiencing the harvest. I'm saying if you're a Christian, it's not a demon. You're experiencing the harvest of the actions you've taken. So one, one thing that happens is if you live and take unwise actions, it's going to produce harvests that unwise actions produce. And so it's like, let me give you an extreme example that nobody would ever do. But it's like, man, I've just had this issue with my thumb for the last three years. And then every morning I keep laying my thumb on a table, taking a hammer and giving it a good smash every morning. And then I go to the prayer line every Sunday at church, say, would y'all just keep me in prayer? This thumb has just really been bothering me and I can't seem to get free from the pain in the thumb. And it just, it feels like it's never going to go away. But every morning I keep smashing my thumb with a hammer. Well, that's not wisdom. I'm destroying. See, can you see how I'm working against God? Because I can go through every prayer line that I want to go through and say, God, heal this thumb. You're the healer. Why isn't my faith working? You're the healer. And then I keep laying it on the table every morning and smashing it with a hammer and then getting upset that my faith's not working and getting upset that God's not healing me. Well, the same people are doing the same thing to themselves every morning. You know, you get up and have, you know, biscuits and gravy and bacon and pancakes and syrup and then uh, a glass of sweet tea or, you know, uh, whole milk and smash your pancreas. And they say, well, I don't understand why God's not healing me. This diabetes has run through my family and we've had strokes and heart attacks and issues. And every morning you have a bacon, egg and cheese biscuit on the way to work. Well, it's like, bro, you're smashing it with a hammer, (laughs) metaphorically, every single morning. And then you wonder why God's not working. Well, you can't keep taking unwise actions and expect your, and then get frustrated when your quote unquote faith doesn't work because faith works with wisdom. Put it in the comments, man. First one of today that I want you to write down. Faith works with wisdom. Faith works with wisdom. It doesn't work separate from wisdom. 
It works with wisdom. And I think people, especially in the Pentecostal community, have let this go. They've let it go years ago. It's like, we just think we can do whatever we want and let our faith override our actions. That's not how God works. Faith works with wisdom. Faith works with wisdom. That's why there's an entire book of the Bible called Proverbs that is filled with instructions to take people that are unwise into wisdom. Because you understand, there are some things you don't have to pray about. Some things are just use wisdom. Some things are just use wisdom. I don't have to pray about it. I don't have to get a word from the Lord. Just use wisdom. Even common wisdom. And so that's my caveat, uh, Luenda, uh, regarding the healing based on generational curses. I don't think a lot of people, to be honest, and, and Luenda, you know that's the, the truth too. You've worked with so many people uh, in the hospital. But you know that um, the thing that happens is, even with Christians, they don't take actions that are filled with wisdom and then they want to blame the devil for the problems they have. Well, it's not the devil. It's not the devil. And it's I know it's hard for us to be introspective and say, well, maybe I'm making some mistakes. Maybe there's some problems I've got. Maybe there's some issues that I'm dealing with because of actions I'm taking. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to look at themselves and say, I've got a problem. I'm the one that's making a mistake here. And if I would correct myself, right? So think of this, think of this verse of scripture in the Bible, judge yourself and you'll not be judged. Think of that. Now I know the context is different. I want to just give you a principle, judge yourself and you'll not be judged. So watch this. A lot of people wait until they get into a crisis moment to make changes, right? So they'll go to the doctor and eventually now after 45 years, the doctor said, Hey man, let me tell you something. We're not seeing the, the right amount of insulin, uh, being produced by your pancreas. Uh, you got issues, you know, we're, we're going to have to put you on insulin, you're, you know, diabetic or pre-diabetic, whatever it might be. And people wait until they hit the issue. So now what's happening because you didn't judge yourself. Now your physician is judging you. Now he's telling you what you can and can't eat. Now he's telling you, or she is telling you no more carbs, cut those carbs way down, cut the sugar out. You need to stop drinking sugar drinks. You need to stop eating things that turn simple carbs that turn directly to sugar. Stop it. You can't have the candy. You can't have the potatoes. You can't have the, the pasta. You can't have the bread. You can't have the sugar. Now he's judging you. She's judging you because you didn't judge yourself. That's the mistake many people make is that they don't judge themselves. And so now somebody else has to judge them for them. Judge yourself and you'll not be judged. You could use wisdom before you ever get to the crisis place and say, you know, I'm never going to get there. I've seen the pattern. I've seen it happen. I'm going to get introspective. I see what causes the problem. I know what the issue is. I'm going to make choices today because I know that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and it's important. My body's important. 
It's important that I be strong. It's important that I be able to run long and live a long life. I have a purpose on the earth. God's going to use me by his power. There's an anointing on my life to do what I'm called to do. And I need to be strong. I need to run long. I don't need to be dying early. I don't need to be uh, laid up. I don't need to be in a wheelchair. I don't need to be on the couch or in a bed or in the hospital. I need to run long and strong. I think about these things. If people don't judge themselves, I looked, I looked at a evangelist, Jack Coe in the voice of healing movement. I think he died before he was 40, 39, 38, something like that. He was way overweight and people talked to him about it. People dealt with him and said, Hey, you need to make some changes and, and never, never judged himself. The man died. He had powerful healing miracles in his ministry, creative miracles Super. He had tens of thousands of people coming under his tent to listen to him preach and see him minister under the power of God in his thirties and died before he was 40 because he wouldn't judge himself. And so it's not because God wanted him dead. It's not because God was punishing him. It wasn't because it was God's plan for him to pass away at an early age. He didn't judge himself. He did not use wisdom in conducting his life. And so, as a result, he was gone before he was 40. Not God's plan. But see, your actions do matter. And so, understand this. We have to take actions that will bring about the results God wants for our lives. And so, you see that? It's so vital for us to understand. Stop attributing things to the devil. Stop attributing things to the devil. I truly believe that as Christians... We give the devil far more credit than he should get. Any problem that we ever see, the devil gets blamed. Man, the devil's working in my, you know, it's like people, the devil's working in my marriage. He's trying to break my marriage up. No, you're just a jerk. And your wife doesn't like being around you because you're a jerk. You're not loving. You're not caring. You don't speak kindly. You don't speak gently. You don't ever compliment her. You don't ever give her a gift. You don't ever spend time with her. The devil's not attacking your marriage. You're just a jerk. You know, people don't want to hear that kind of stuff. But it's, it's, you know, we blame the devil for stuff he never did. He's in heaven. Standing before looking at God saying, I'm, I'm checking my records, Lord. I, I never even attacked them once. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, the devil didn't do it. The devil didn't do it. He's getting blamed for stuff he never did. It's our own actions that are causing these things to happen. And so that's why we have to be introspective. Got to look at ourselves. See that? Got to look at ourselves. When we'll do that, it'll cause us to walk in victory at a much uh, greater level. Now, I want to give you these six because these are six things we have seen. And I'm glad Luenda asked that question because Um, I've been getting it multiple times in the last few weeks. And so the Lord must be having me on that vein to teach it because there are people that have that question about generational curses and it's very important, but I want you to see this. There are issues that stop your faith from working. They cancel your faith. And so I want to give you these six things so that they never happen to you. They never happen in your life, but that you always have functional faith. And number one, I told you to look at with me at Galatians chapter five. And the first one is, uh, number one, a lack of love, a lack of love. That's number one. This will instantly, 
stop your faith from functioning. If you step outside of love, you've stepped outside of faith. Put it in the comments. Number one, lack of love. If you step outside of love, you've stepped outside of faith. Your faith will not work without walking in love. I don't care how much you read the Bible. You don't care how much you attend church. Doesn't matter how much you give in the offering. If you don't walk in love, your faith will not and cannot work. Galatians chapter five, uh, verse six, the Bible says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Faith works by love. Now, I'm sure that this would make it uh, easier to, to see and understand. I see my friend, Pastor Joel Toller from the UK is on today. I love you, buddy. Hey, Ted and Ashley. Um, maybe this makes it easier for us to understand, but the Bible says that God is love, Right? God is love. So understand, once we step outside of love, what we're truly stepping outside of is God. We're stepping outside of God when we step outside of love. That makes more sense. You say, what's the, what's the, dish, what's the deal with that? Well, faith has to express itself in love because God is love. And once you step outside of love, you're stepping outside of God's nature and character. It's like I've been dealing with during this time where we see so much racism and people blowing up because of racism, but you can't be racist and be a Christian. You can't hate people based upon the color of their skin, their economic status, where they grew up. You can't use those things to judge a person and think, thank you, Joel, and think God's going to use you. Look at first uh, John chapter four. The Bible says it says it very plainly. Look at this. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You see that? If you don't love, you don't know God for God is love. (laughs) That's huge. That's huge. I'm going to read it again. And I'll start with verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That's powerful, man. Let me go down and show you how powerful this really gets and how bold it really gets. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar and the love of God is not in him. For he he who doesn't love His brother whom he cannot see or whom he can see cannot love God whom he can't see. You see that. So very plain here. If you don't love, you're not in God and your faith can't work. Faith works by love. You cannot be a person of unforgiveness. You can't walk around refusing to forgive people, holding grudges, getting upset and staying upset. Well, I don't care what they say. I don't care for them. And I'm, I'm a holder. Yes. You can't be that person and expect to be a person of faith. It doesn't work. It does not work. Can't do it. And so you have to be a person of love. I say this because it's the foundation. That's why I'm giving it to you first has to be the foundation of your life. I have to walk in love. If I'm going to walk in faith, 
No question about it. And see, there's people all over. You say, well, that's not common. It's all over the body of Christ. You got people in churches all over the place. You got the church divided. My father was preaching one time, early of his part of his ministry, had a revival. Comes into the church the first Sunday morning service of a week-long revival. And he goes, my mom's sitting on the front row. They're newly married. She's not been in the ministry long with him. And they're sitting there. And they, he's invited to preach, and it's his time. He, he's in, he, he, they invite him and welcome him to the platform. He comes up, stands up, takes the mic, looks at the crowd, and the Lord says, close the service, tell them all to repent, and come back tonight. <laughs> Never been there before. First service of the revival. Nobody knows who he is. He took the mic. He said, the Lord said you're not ready for a revival or a move of God. He said, repent, and I'll be back tonight to start the revival, put the mic down, said, come on, Bonnie. They left the church like at the beginning of service and went to a diner to eat breakfast, literally just walked out, didn't preach a word. And he didn't know what was going on. They were like, oh man, one's, one's got... sat there and ate their breakfast, came back and the pastor told him there has been a heavy family feud going on in this church. And if you were to look right up that center aisle, all of these people on this side of the aisle are feuding with all the people on this side of the aisle, won't even speak to one another, won't even speak to one another. Well, there you can see why they weren't ready for revival. You can see why they weren't ready for a move of God. God doesn't move outside of faith and faith can't work without love. And when my father left, the pastor told him later, finally, a person on one side of the uh Sanctuary got up, started crying, walked across the other side and hugged a person on the other side. Somebody else got up, walked across, hugged. Then they all got out and began to hug one another, repent and make things right with one another. My dad came back that night. The whole church had turned it around. They all loved one another again. Power of God hit that church. Revival hit that week. It was so powerful, my dad said, that at the end of the week, the pastor who'd been there a while said, this is the best state I've ever seen this church in since I've been the pastor. I'm handing in my resignation. He's leaving on a high. He, he literally handed in his resignation on the final night of the revival and said, this is the best the church has ever been. I'm out of here. And literally turned the whole church around. Why? Because it was the repentance. It was the love. It was the forgiveness that allowed God to move. Faith doesn't work outside of love. It does not work outside of love. We can't be people that don't walk in love and then sit around expecting things to work out. It doesn't work that way. We have to be people of love. Number two, the second thing that destroys, it destroys faith from working. I want you to put it in the comments, is pride. Pride is a killer when it comes to faith. And let me show you why. Because the person who honors your faith is the Lord God. God is the one who rewards faith. Can I remind you of uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6? The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And anyone that comes to God must believe that he exists and that he's what? He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. 
So God is the one who rewards faith. No one else can reward your faith but the Lord God. Nobody. He's the rewarder. So remember, if he's the one who gives the reward for faith, then you have to have a working relationship with him if he's going to reward your faith. Look at what James chapter 4 and verse 6 says. But he, that is God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives more grace to the humble. So can you see that that verse right there? James chapter 4 and verse 6. God literally opposes the proud. So if he's the one who's rewarding your faith, but he also is someone who opposes or stands against prideful people, then explain to me how he's going to reward someone that he's opposing. Do you see that? God cannot, this, that'd be good, something good to write down. God cannot reward someone he's opposing. God cannot reward someone whom he's actively opposing. Be a conflict of interest. He's not going to do it. He could not. See, pride, the Bible says, goes before destruction. Well, we know plainly, destruction's not a reward for faith. (laughs) You'll flourish because of your faith. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So God is not rewarding prideful people. He's actively resisting and opposing prideful people. And if you let pride creep into your life, it's like a poison to your faith. It's like a poison to your faith. God cannot reward someone he's actively opposing. Conflict of interest. It doesn't work that way. And so if you're walking in pride, or as the Bible says, if you think more highly of yourself than you ought to. (laughs) You ever seen that? My grandfather was funny, man. I remember before he died and went to heaven, we were having um, West Virginia camp meeting and he was sitting in the lobby in his 80s. My grandfather's sitting there. He's been preaching 60-some years. He's sitting there in the lobby of the church, and a guy walks by the seat. My grandfather just would study people. He just watches this guy go by. Guy's standing there, and he's got his three-piece suit and pocket handkerchief and his big tie and his tie bar and his hair, hair sprayed and his Rolex and his rings and you know all that, and, and walking up with an, you know, an air of I am somebody. And my grandfather just sat there and watched that guy go through the lobby. Just sat there, just just inspected him. And then after he watched the guy walk through, he said, and I'll never forget this. He said, I wish I could buy some people for what they're actually worth and sell them for what they think they're worth. (laughs) I mean, it cracked me up. Because I knew the point that he was trying to make. I understood the point that he was trying to make. He was saying that some people think so highly of themselves when in reality, they've not accomplished anything for the kingdom. They think they're the next Billy Graham, but they've not accomplished anything for the Lord. But somehow they've allowed their their mind to be filled with these thoughts of grandeur delusions of grandeur, if you want to call it what it is. And so he cracks me up. 
But that's what he said. And, and it makes me laugh because he understood the principle. And the principle is this. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Why? It's destructive to your own life. The Bible says it goes before destruction. So catch it. Pride is the prerequisite for destruction. Pride is the prerequisite for destruction. It causes you to fall and to fail. And God is resisting you. That's the reason, right? So that's the reason why you fall is because God's resisting you. Think of what Paul said to the Roman church. He said, if God is for you, tell me who can be against you, right? But flip that and say it backwards. If God is against you, who can be for you? You see that? If God's against you, who can be for you? So if he's resisting you, it doesn't matter who's on your side. It doesn't matter who's helping you. It doesn't matter who's pushing you from behind. It doesn't matter. If God's opposing you, you're done. That's why pride goes before destruction because pride is the prerequisite for destruction because it's what causes God to oppose your life. Dangerous. It's a dangerous thing. Thank you, Brother Ben. I love you, buddy. And so it, 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 I'm telling you, don't allow yourself to ever, you know, meekness is something we have to choose on a daily basis. Humility. I have to choose it on a daily basis. I'll come, you know, it's not, it's not wrong to have people compliment you. You know, it's, it's not wrong. You know, there's some people that can't even uh, take a compliment. They can't even take a compliment that they're so, you know, that's false humility. I've walked up to people in church before that sang a solo that Sunday or something like that. Hey man, I really enjoyed Great job on that solo today. Oh, all glory to him, brother. It's all about him. He's the only one. It's because of him that I have this gift. It's because of him that I have this talent. It's all about him. I give him all the glory. I give him all the praise. I give him all the honor. And yes, I get it. God anointed you. God's the one that lifted you up. God's the one that gave you a gift. I get it. I've already thanked him. Now I'm thanking you. I'm saying great job. Just say thank you and move on. You know, it's like you're not going to be caught in a trap of pride because you said thank you to a compliment. You know what I'm saying? But it's, it's true. It's true. There's people that are operating in false humility, which is just another form of pride. Don't be that person. Just learn how to say thank you and move on. The thing you don't want to happen is that when people are saying those things to you, you let it puff you up with pride and start thinking to yourself, yeah, I am the man. I am the woman. I, you know what? I don't need anybody's help. I, I got this thing down. I don't even need the, because what ends up happening, happening is this. You get to the place where you think, you know what? I don't even need, you won't actively say this, but it's how you'll act. You know what? I don't even need the Lord's help. Come to think of it, I'm gifted. I'm talented. I don't even need God's help. You would never say that out of your mouth, but can I tell you something? People do it in their actions. How do I know? I've seen ministers get to that place where they say, you know what? I don't even need God's help. How do I know they're saying that? Because all the things they used to do to inquire for the Lord's help, they don't do anymore. They stop fasting. They stop praying. They stop studying the word. They, they, they quit all that. Because in their own mind, I got this, I got messages in my, uh, you know, I can, I can preach a message from memory. I've been preaching long enough. I don't need to study. I don't need to pray. I don't need to fast. What you're saying is that you can do all of this in your own power. You can do all of this in your own authority and you don't need the help of God. That's the ultimate pride. That's the ultimate pride. 
You see what I mean? And so you have to be careful of that. One of the things that I've tried to do is literally in prayer time before I minister even is that I'll say it to the Lord. Like I will say it out of my mouth so he knows where I'm coming from. I'll kneel down. I may kneel down to my face and put my face in my hands and say it out of my mouth. Lord, I, I can do nothing without you. My message isn't going to change anybody. The notes that I may have prepared aren't going to change anybody. A presentation's not going to change anybody. I can't do it. I need your help. I need your intervention. I need you to open the windows of heaven over this church tonight and pour out your spirit because without you, we can do nothing. You understand? I'll say that in prayer to the Lord. He needs to hear me say, not because he doesn't know my heart, but I need to say it. He needs to hear me say, Lord, it's not about me. I've got to decrease. You've got to increase. My message is nothing without the Holy Ghost. My singing, my playing, my preaching, my praying, nothing without the Holy Ghost. I need you. I need your power. I need your glory. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. That's the kind of prayer that shows God. He doesn't think it's about him. He knows it's about me. And it is. It absolutely is. I've got a decrease. Nothing good comes out of my flesh. Nothing. Hear me say it. Nothing good comes out of my flesh. I can't do it without the Lord. I could preach a message. Absolutely. I could be eloquent. Absolutely. That doesn't matter. There are people who give TED Talks. You know who was eloquent? You know who gave great speeches? Hitler. Hitler was eloquent. Eloquent. Hitler gave great speeches. He captivated crowds. But let me tell you something. He wasn't anointed by God. He wasn't seeing people saved at an altar. He wasn't seeing people healed and delivered or demons casting out. He had a demon. So you can be eloquent. You can captivate a crowd. Tony Robbins does that. That doesn't mean you're anointed. I've heard all kinds of great speakers that weren't anointed. It's not about how great you can speak or how great you can carry out your specific purpose. It's about this. Is God in it with you? And don't ever, see, that's the thing. Don't ever get to the place where you think, I don't need the help of the Lord. And we may never, again, we may never say that out of our mouths, but that's what our actions are saying. Well, if I don't pray, if I don't fast, if I don't study his word, if I don't get in his presence, I'm saying by my actions, I don't need any of that. I don't need any of that. So understand it. We've got to be people of humility and meekness. Know it. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength. It's strength in the Lord. I know I can't do it. He's got to do it. He has to use me as a vessel because I don't have it by myself. I don't have it by myself. It's like people come on and, uh, you know, I had somebody come on yesterday and um, accuse me of being arrogant and proud because of the way I talk about things. But understand, there's a difference between being bold and confident and arrogant and proud. I'm not arrogant and I'm not proud. I am bold and I am confident in what I say. I can say it with confidence and boldness. People think because of my snarky demeanor that I'm arrogant and proud. I'm not. It's just my personality. 
you know, they had a hard time because I spent, spent time telling that story about the, the nut job crawling around the church on his hands and knees during the praise and worship service and getting rebuked. You sounded very arrogant and very proud when you were telling that story about the man. Tough. It was a stupid thing to do, and it was actually distracting people from the presence of the Lord. So what do you want me to do? Sit there and allow it? That's just called stupidity. People don't know the difference. People don't know the difference between boldness and confidence and arrogance and pride. They're different. They're not the same. If boldness was wrong to have, then why did Paul ask the church of Ephesus to pray that he would have it? Go read the sixth chapter of of Ephesians. And Paul says to the church, pray for me also that boldness would be granted unto me. Boldness is not wrong to have, neither is confidence. Now I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But of course it's wrong to be proud or arrogant. And so people can't tell the difference because they're, you know, most people are not, they're just not able to, to detect the difference. I don't know why they're just not able to, but pride's a killer. Pride causes God to uh, oppose you and resist you. And let me tell you something, God, you don't ever want to catch a stiff arm from God. (laughs) Thank you, Jerry. You don't ever want to catch a stiff arm from God. Like, like he's a running back in the in the Holy Ghost NFL. You don't want to catch that. Because in the NFL, when somebody who's great at throwing a stiff arm throws one, a defender may get, you know, somebody may duck their shoulder on you and, 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 and bust you, put you on your butt on the ground. If you catch a stiff arm from God, you keep falling for eternity. <laughs> and you don't want that. You don't want God stiff arming you. And so you got to hear me today. Pride is danger, but meekness and humility, they are, they are the keys, two of the keys to keep us in functional faith. Number three, sight. The third of the six is sight. Sight is an enemy to your faith. Natural sight. I'm not telling you to go blind or act like the movie Bird Box. I'm telling you that when you rely on natural sight, it is dangerous <clears throat> It is counterproductive to your faith. Counterproductive to your faith. Sight. Natural sight. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. That's our verse for this point. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. You see that? We walk by faith and not by sight. Sight is the opposite of faith. You know, some people think fear is the opposite of faith. That's not true. Sight is the opposite of faith. Sight is the opposite of faith. You can't even have fear in something that you can't imagine or see. If I've never even heard of it, if I don't even know about it, how could I fear it? Fear is not the opposite of faith. Sight. The Bible doesn't say that we walk by faith and not by fear. It says we walk by faith and not by sight. Because see, here's what will happen. The enemy will try to put a smoke screen in front of your faith face to get you to miss out on what your faith wants to do. Well, you can't step out on faith here. Look what's going on. See, it's a trick of the devil. It's a trick of the devil. We walk by faith and not by sight. 
And so you can't allow the, what's going on in the natural to govern what you do. You can't allow it. That's why when uh, Peter saw Jesus on the water during a storm, he said, Lord, if it's really you, call me out to you. And in the midst of a storm, Peter didn't look at the storm. He looked at Jesus, who is the word. And he said, call me out to you if it's really you. And Jesus said, come. Peter, with his eyes still on Jesus, got out of the boat and started walking on the water, doing the impossible because his eyes were on faith, not on what was going on. Notice that the moment that Peter shifted his eyes and his sight to the natural realm, he began to sink. He began to sink. As long as his sight was on Christ, as long as his sight was on the word, he stood above every problem. He stood above every issue and crisis and was victorious. It was not until his sight changed that his faith stopped working. Man, I'm preaching today. Catch this, man, because this is what causes people to fail. They're like, I don't know why, I don't know why my faith's not working. I'm telling you why. Because you're looking at the wrong things. You're magnifying the wrong things. Don't magnify the wrong things. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this world. Don't look at the things of this world and let them govern your actions. It's a mistake. It's a massive mistake and it cancels your faith. We don't walk by what we see in the natural. We walk by faith. Well, what does that mean? We walk based upon what God already said. My faith's not based on what's going on in the world, but by what's going on in the word. So vital that you catch that. My faith is not based on what's going on in the world. It's based on what's going on in the word. So vital that you catch this. The word is higher than the world. Come on, put that in the comments. The word is higher than the world. The word is higher than the world. Psalm 138 and verse two, the word is higher than the world. And that's our key. That's our key to victory is that my sight is here. I'm gonna show you, it's here. It's not looking at the news, looking at my school, looking at my job, looking at my government. That's not, that's not where my, where my vision is. It's not where my vision is. My vision's here, it's not here. You see, if I can see everything through the filter of the word, I see victory. I see constant victory. The word is higher than the world. And I quoted Psalm 138 too, or I gave you the reference because the Bible says, God has magnified his word above his name. It's above his name. So his name is above the world and so is his word above the world. Amen. Jesus Christ is the word and the word is seated in heavenly places far above. Principalities, powers, every name that's named, dominions, rulers, whatever. Not only in this world, but that which is to come. Far above. The word is higher than the world. Hallelujah. The word is higher than the world. So when I'm looking at the word, I'm looking above my problems and it's pulling me above my problems. Allows my faith to work. 
Don't let sight destroy you. Don't let what you see in the natural destroy you. Number four, I got to get through these other three because I know our time's coming, coming close. And truly, there's nobody on after me. It's not a television network. It's my own broadcast and I can go as long as I want. But I want to encourage all of you that are watching, any ladies that are watching today, my mom, Bonnie Shuttlesworth, is going to be live today at 12 noon Eastern time with a special guest. She's live from South Carolina and you're not going to want to miss the broadcast. It'll be on my father and mother's Facebook page and YouTube channel. Uh, you can search Ted Shuttlesworth Faith Alive on Facebook and the same on YouTube. It's going to be live at 12 noon. So I don't want to run over into what my mom is doing. It's going to be a great broadcast. She's joined by a powerful woman of faith in South Carolina and uh, it's at noon. So you don't want to miss it and I don't want to run into it. So I wanted you guys to know and be a part of it today. It's going to be great. Don't let sight destroy you. Number four, don't let sin destroy you. The fourth enemy of your faith that cancels your faith is sin. Sin is a killer. God can't anoint sin, nor can he bless sin. So Romans chapter 14 and verse 23, the Bible says anything that is not of faith is sin. Anything that is not of faith is sin. So faith and sin do not coexist. If it's not of faith, it's sin. If it's of sin, it's not of faith. You see, they sep they're separated from each other. So when you live in sin or if you... Uh, are literally allowing sin or you continue in sin, it's something that comes in. The wages of sin is what? Death. Sin kills what it touches. Not just eternally, but even in the natural. You live in sin. Destroy the temple of the Holy Ghost with drugs for 20 years. You know what's going to happen? Your body's going to be destroyed by the effects of drugs, which is sin. And so sin will kill your mind. You ever seen somebody's mind that's been drugged out for 20 years? You ever seen somebody's body that's been on meth for five to 10 years? Doesn't look great, does it? In fact, you could look at somebody that's 50 years old, that's done drugs their whole life, and then look at somebody that's 70 years old, that's been serving the Lord their whole life. The one that's 70 looks younger than the one that's 50. Why? Because the Bible says God beautifies the meek. God beautifies the meek. Sin kills what it touches. So you have to destroy sin. Destroy sin and remove it because your faith won't work. Did you know that David said in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms, he said that if I would have regarded iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard my prayers. The Lord would not have heard my prayers if I had kept sin in my heart. And so... The wages of sin is death. You've got to keep sin out of your life. Sin will stop your faith from working. Number five, double-mindedness. Now, this is huge. Number five is double-mindedness. James chapter one. This is big because I touched on sight, but one of the things that besides sight that I want you to see is that sometimes when you get into wrong relationships or have grown um, up around people that don't believe the word, you'll get all kinds of reports. You'll get all kinds of advice. 
you'll get all kinds of comments about what you're choosing to do, say, and believe. Well, you don't really believe he's a healer, do you? Do you really believe he heals everybody? I mean, really? I don't know if I really believe that God wants everybody healed or if he even does that anymore. You'll get all kinds of different reports and comments and advice. And here's the thing. It's not based on something you saw. So let me give you an example. Here's how this is different from sight. Let's say in an extreme example, your doctor says that you have a cancer diagnosis, right? You saw whatever he showed you and you say, okay, he's saying that they see cancer in my body. However, I will not go by what I see. I'll go by what the word says. And so it's not the sight. It's not the report that you saw that's in your body that's that's causing you to fail in faith. But then you get around people and the people are like, well, you got to be, you know, use wisdom. I don't know. I don't think you should put, get your hopes up with that healing stuff. And I don't think that you should, you know, I don't think you should keep yourself. I'd hate to see you let down. I'd hate to see you, uh, your hopes dashed. I, 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 and then what happens? It's not based on what, what you saw didn't change your faith, but it was the reports of others, the things you thought, the things they said to you. And now what's going on? Well, I was in faith, but now I hear this guy talking to me and what, and it sounds like it makes sense in the natural and you know what? Maybe I shouldn't put all my eggs in one basket. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't have this kind of faith. Maybe God doesn't do this anymore. It wasn't what you saw that, that shook your faith. It was the reports you got. It was the people you were around. It was what you heard in your mind that caused you to begin to doubt God's word. And it's a double-mindedness. And you get to that place where it's like, okay, uh, should I believe? Should I not? I, he's a healer, but maybe he doesn't heal everybody. Double-mindedness. Look at what the Bible says. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Let anybody who's asking God for anything ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose they'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It's James 1 six through eight. So catch it. Number five is double-mindedness. And the problem here is that the Bible clearly says a person like that should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Nothing, nothing. And so don't, you can't be frustrated and say, well, I don't know why my faith's not working. If double-mindedness is in action, then it will keep you from receiving anything at all from God. And that's not where we want to be. Your faith has to be one-dimensional. I've got to look and believe. I refuse to change my confession. I refuse to hear anything else. And this is where, let me give you a tip. This is a tip that'll help you. One of the things Jesus did to limit this from happening is choosing very carefully who was around him. So I'll give you the, the, the scripture for it. Mark chapter five, he's going to raise Jairus's daughter from the dead. She's dead. She's dead and Jesus knows she's dead. But he didn't bring all of his disciples with him, did he? No. He didn't bring 12 disciples to the house to raise the girl. How many did he bring? Three. Peter, James, and John the three that he probably knew had dead raising faith. 
Judas wasn't there. Doubting Thomas wasn't there. Just the three that had the greatest faith. You're not going to, I don't want to be around everybody, especially in a time of crisis. I don't want to hear from everybody. I want to hear from faith-filled people. I limit. So then what happened? He gets to the house, Jairus's house. And when he gets there, all the people are mourning the death of the girl. Oh, she's gone. And Jesus said, she's not dead. She's only asleep. And they all started mocking him. What did Jesus do? Put them all out of the room, kicked them out. He kicked them out. And the only people he allowed in the room were his three disciples who had faith, the father and mother who had faith and himself. And of course, the girl's dead on the bed. And he limited who was allowed to be there by faith. I don't need someone here that doesn't believe. I don't need to hear from somebody that doesn't believe in healing. I don't need from, to hear from a doubter. I don't need advice from a sinner about what I should do in my covenant. This will keep you from double-mindedness. Reject evil reports and be single-minded with what you believe about God's word. And don't inquire from people who don't have the wisdom to give you what you need. Keep the doubters out. Keep the skeptics out. Keep the naysayers out and surround yourself with people of faith. If you're believing for a miracle, listen to me. You got to get out of double-mindedness. And then finally, let me give you this one. The sixth trap, the dangerous and costly mistake that cancels your faith is feelings of unworthiness. Feelings of unworthiness. Well, I'm not worthy for God to move in my life. I'm, I was such a filthy sinner. I'm, I'm disqualified from having God work in my life. I don't think God could move in my life. He can't touch my family. And then what happens? Feelings of unworthiness keep you from receiving the power of God in your life and stop your faith from working. Let me show you why. Go to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four, I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter four, look how we're instructed to approach God when we want something. Look at how we're instructed. We're commanded to approach God a certain way. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let us therefore with confidence You've got to come near to the throne with confidence and boldness. You can't have confidence if you don't feel worthy of God's blessings. If you feel like you shouldn't be receiving them, well, he should, I don't know why God would even bless me. I don't even know why he would touch me. I don't even know why he would use me. Those thoughts are a sign that you don't have an understanding of your identity in Christ. I'm going to say that again for the people in the back. Those kinds of thoughts and words are a clear sign that you don't have an understanding of your identity in Christ. It shows that you don't know that you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. It shows that you don't know you've been grafted into the family of God and you are now part of Jesus' body. So God rejecting your, your request and not giving you the things he promised in your covenant, it would be like Jesus being rejected by God. Think of that. Can you imagine for one moment 
if Jesus had a desire and asked God, hey, could you do this for me? When do you think God is going to reject his, his son, Jesus, and say, no, you can't have it? No, it can't. It's not possible. And if you're part of Jesus' body, if God rejected you when you asked him for things that he already promised to you, he would be rejecting Jesus because you're a part of Jesus and you're a new creature in Christ Jesus and you have a covenant with the Most High God. And what is his is yours, and what is yours is his. That's why I can come to the throne and say, Lord, I desire, this is what your word says, this is what I'm believing for, this is what I want, I'm asking you to make it happen. And he wants that kind of confidence. He doesn't want us to show up and say, God, I don't know if you remember me, but my name is Evangelist Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. I do some work for you here on the earth. And uh, I just um, I just had a request that I hope it's not too much to ask, Lord. I hope it's not too much to ask. But I just really need you to come through on something. And I'll, I'll, I'll keep this short because I know you got a lot of prayers coming up. God doesn't want you approaching him like that. He wants you to come boldly, boldly. You know, my little son comes to ask me for something. He asks with the expectation that I'm going to give it to him. He's actually, you know, I've noticed this about my son. I've noticed that when he asks me for something, he asks with the expectation that it's going to happen and that the ask itself is merely um, just a formality. I noticed that his countenance doesn't really change, not that he's not thankful, but I noticed that his countenance doesn't really change when I do it for him or give it to him, but the only time his countenance does change is if it doesn't happen. You know why it's like that? Because he comes to ask me, Knowing the kind of father I am, he comes to ask me, expecting me to honor what he's asking, expecting me to give him what he's asking for or do what he wants me to do. He comes with that expectation at four years old. And I notice that the only thing that changes is if it doesn't happen, then he's like, he's like confused. He's confused. He's like, whoa, what? what? We're not going to do that. I can't have that. That's the that's when I notice his his countenance changes. Why? My son comes to me with an expectation of good. And that's exactly how God wants us to approach him, with an expectation of good. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him and they should come with confidence knowing and believing it's coming to pass in Jesus name. It is coming to pass in Jesus name. See that? And so feelings of unworthiness, when the devil can make you feel that way, because as the Bible says, out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth will speak. So if our, if our heart, our hearts are filled with thoughts of unworthiness, we'll talk unworthy. We'll, we'll act unworthy. We'll expect what an unworthy person would expect. But when we know that we are worthy because he made us worthy, and we can stand boldly before the throne of grace and make our requests known unto God. We make our requests known. Amen. I want you to put it in the comments. I will ask God boldly. Put that in the comments section. I will ask God boldly. And that's going to be your story. Yes, we do, Winona. And Jesus taught that about God. If you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to those that ask him? Of course he will. If he gave us Jesus Christ, how much more will he not freely give us all things? 
I will boldly, I will ask God boldly. I want you to write in the comments. Why? Because he's looking for people that'll be bold in their ask. He's looking for people that will stand with confidence before his throne, expecting his word to come to pass in their life. And I'm telling you, if you'll walk, uh, you know, and it's not 21 steps. It's not 101 keys, six simple things from the word of God, six simple things that if you'll make a little checklist and ensure that these things are not a part of my life, that I'm doing the opposite, God will ensure that your faith is rewarded and that your faith works. I want you to pray with me today because I'm going to pray that God through these broadcasts, through Miracle Word University, through Miracle Word Radio, increases your faith in 2020 to a place where it explodes in productivity. And that is, I know I haven't talked about it in a couple of days, but let me just say, I'm telling you, this is why I'm preparing your faith, because this last six months, we're going to fly. We're going to fly. We are going to see things happen so quickly. Violent increase, expedited favor. It's going to be so quick it'll make people's heads spin. So your faith's increasing. You're going to another level and we're gonna see the fruit of our faith in these next few months. You watch and see. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm praying for every one of your precious people today. Those that are faithful, that are listening, that are watching, that have joined us. I pray in Jesus' name that you would let an impartation of the spirit of faith come upon them today. And as they watch these broadcasts and listen to the podcast, as they're a part of Miracle Word University, listen to Miracle Word Radio, let these messages all jump into their spirit and build a strong faith that will not be denied in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you for that. I give you glory for it in Jesus' wonderful name. And if you believe it, somebody throw some fire in the comments section and shout aloud, amen, wherever you're at and believe God, these are your greatest days. I'm telling you, I believe this totally too. People are, and we've been getting the testimonies, your finances are going to increase extremely quickly over the next six months. Don't look at the report of the world. Don't look at the, don't sit around expecting second wave and problems and more layoffs and more unemployment. No, expect everything. And th- because here's the thing, our provision's not based on the economy. It's based on our provider. And you, just like all the testimonies that are coming in from people, I got, I'm getting jobs when others are laid off. More clients are being added to me. Promotions are happening. Raises are happening. We've had people, do you know, during this time, write us and say, we've got coworkers being laid off. My boss came into me and gave me a promotion. Give me a raise. Now I'm over this uh, span of the first six months of this year. I'm already up 12% raise. I've had three separate raises that jumped my income up 12%. You look at the things God's doing. He's doing it for the faithful and he's going to do it for you. And I know that he does it for people that are connected to this ministry. We want to encourage you to connect to this ministry. We want to encourage you to become a partner with Miracle Word Ministries. And that's what I'm asking you to do today is to ask God, say, Lord, what is it that I could do to stand and give part of myself and and, and join myself to Miracle Word Ministries? I appreciate our partners, man. And I'm I'm going to ask God to speak to you specifically and tell you what you're to do. Whatever you can do on a monthly basis, to stand with it. You know what's exciting to me? Is that even during the quarantine, when everybody else seemed to be decreasing, diminishing, do you know we did more during the quarantine than probably any other time in our ministry? We gave away tens of thousands of dollars 
I mean, literally touched more people around the world. We were able to do more during that time when everybody else was talking doom and gloom and a decrease and diminish. We never felt it, never felt it once. We never had a struggle. Do you, can I tell you something? We purposely did this. Do you know that we paid our employees more during the quarantine than we did before the quarantine? We gave them what we called a quarantine bonus. We get, we paid our employees more during that time, not less. We didn't tell them, Hey, listen, it's tough around the ministry right now. You might have to take a little bit of a pay cut as we're just kind of figuring things out during this quarantine. No, no, we paid them more during the quarantine than they got before the quarantine. And we, on top of that, gave away tens of thousands of dollars. And on top of that, ministered to people around the world. We increased, partnership increased during the quarantine. Let me tell you something, it'll never stop increasing. As long as we all stay faithful to what God's telling us to do, our purpose in this world, it'll never stop. Your increase will never stop. In fact, I want you to write that by faith. My increase will never stop. Put it in the comments. My increase will never stop. So here's what I want you to do today. Hear the Lord speak to you. He is speaking because he has a plan to increase you. Your giving brings increase into your life. So here's here's what you do. Go to miracleword.com, click on the give page or the partner page and set up whatever monthly seed that the Lord's speaking to you today. Whatever it is he's telling you to do, be obedient and God will bless you for doing it. For everybody that is partnering with us this month of June, We're sending you this powerful book by Dr. Bill Winston, The Law of Confession. And this book will change your life, literally. And I got one right here. This is a powerful book because we have it. I've read it. This book will change you, man. It talks about what is hidden inside of the word that comes out of your mouth, the breath of God that's released from your mouth. This thing will change you. The power of your confession, the law of confession, our gift to you in the month of June, for those of you that are standing with us at $85 or more a month, and then those of you that are sowing $1,000 or more, hardcover further faster, my gift to you. I'm so happy this book is out, man. I'm so happy that it's finally out. This, I believe it's the most important revelation that we've ever released. I really do believe that. And it's so, it's been a blessing to me. I, I mean, I, I've went back and read through it It's still stirring me up, man. It's still stirring me up and I'm looking forward to it. And then also, let me say this. If you didn't hear me at the beginning of the, of the broadcast, Carolyn's brand new book lines is getting ready to drop on digital formats and paperback that you'll be able to grab. And uh, this is a 40 day devotional. People are already ordering it in bulk for their small groups, church groups, classes, whatever. If you're going to do that, let me just give you a heads up. If you're going to order it in bulk, please send an email to Jenna at MiracleWord.com. J-E-N-N-A at MiracleWord.com. We'll give you a discount for those of you that want to order uh, this book in bulk. It'll be a blessing. You can pre-order it right now on the website, shop.miracleword.com. And let me encourage you to grab it. It's going to be a massive blessing to you. Those of you that are in the U.S., you can always sow a seed using hashtag donate on Facebook or, or Twitter or Periscope. Cash app is available. Venmo is available. PayPal is available. MiracleWord.com is the easiest way. And then for people that like to uh, send a check in the mail, uh, our website has our mailing address at the bottom of every website page. 
And you can find that mailing address. All checks are made payable to Miracle Word Ministries. And of course, we receipt you for your giving at the end of the year, always. We love you guys so much. Because I was teaching on faith today, let me just say and mention to you, we have this brand new course on faith in Miracle Word University, Mountain Moving Faith. It's our latest course in the school. It will bless you. It's about five hours of teaching. But let me tell you what we did to really bless you if you've never taken any classes. We put all the courses that we have together in a bundle and gave you 28% off. It's like getting a course for free. And for $199, you get 20 hours of teaching. You get to watch it on your phone, tablet. It's yours forever. You can download it, watch it offline when you're traveling. This will bless you. If you want to get a hold of these or even just check it out, Go to MiracleWordU, the letter U, dot com, and check out the courses that are in the online training center. It will help you, man. And this brand new course, Mountain Moving Faith, I think it's the best one we've ever done. And it goes right along with what we've been teaching today. If you want to go deeper, get this course. Any individual course is only $69 for five hours of teaching. Best deal is the bundle. I'm telling you, you will not regret it. And so here's what we'll do. At the end of the broadcast today, um, I'm going to play just a clip from our school so you know what it feels like to be a part of one of the classes if you've never seen it before, and you can check it out. I love you guys so much. Don't forget, in one minute, my mother, Bonnie Shuttlesworth, is going live with a special guest from South Carolina, and you can find it on uh, Ted Shuttlesworth Faith Alive on Facebook, also on YouTube, Ted Shuttlesworth Faith Alive don't miss it. They're going live at 12 noon Eastern time. Go hang with my mom and her special guest. You won't be sad you did. I love you. Here's a little preview of the uh, school and the class. I'll see you in the morning, 1030 a.m. I love you guys. Have a great one. So in this video, I want to quickly show you something that I was speaking about in a previous video, and that is when we were talking about the measure of faith. Uh, one of the warnings that uh, I give you and that you find in the scripture is to not exceed your measure of faith. And there's a reason that we talk about this. It is, I mentioned in the uh, previous video that it's damaging to you if you try to operate outside of your measure of faith in the same way that it would be uh, I use the analogy of going to the gym. And if you tried to lay down on the bench press and put more weight on the bar than your body can handle, although you might be able to get to that weight one day, you're not there today. And so trying to operate in that level of strength when you're not there would end up being damaging to your body. If you didn't injure your uh, shoulders or strain your muscles lifting that weight, you would actually just drop the weight on yourself and maybe crush your chest. And so it's important to understand that you should never exceed your measure of faith. As we showed you in Romans chapter 12, the Bible says God has apportioned or dealt out to every man a measure of faith. And so it's important that you understand that you are currently at a certain level of faith. And uh, as we read that, uh, I'll read it to you from the NASB in this video uh, Romans 12, 3, the Bible says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment 
as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So there is a measure to your faith. It's at a certain level right now. You should never try to do things that are beyond that level. I'll give you an example of that in a bit, but let's look at 1 Corinthians 7, 17. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Listen to this. Paul writes, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. You see that? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. So don't walk outside of the manner in which God's called you and assigned you and purposed you. Let's go on. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Listen to this. But we will not boast beyond our measure. You see that? Will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere, which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. So understand what Paul's teaching here. We're not overextending our measure. We're not going beyond what we should be doing. We are operating within the sphere of our apportioned measure of faith. It's important to stay within your measure. Ephesians chapter four and verse seven, the Bible says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then finally, let me read to you first Peter chapter four and verse 11. The Bible says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God and whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So from these verses of scripture that I'm reading you, you can see and understand that there's a measure of faith in in which you're currently standing that God has blessed you with and that you've grown to that level that as Paul taught, you should never try to operate outside of your measure of faith. And one of the ways to ensure that you never operate outside the measure of your faith, and this is so very important to listen and adhere to this thought, one of the best ways, and I'd say it's the best way to ensure you'll never operate outside your measure of faith to the harm of yourself, your family, your ministry, whatever, is to only ever do what God called you to do and only ever do what he is directing you to do. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.